Thank you for listening to If That Makes Sense. If you've been listening to and enjoying this show, please let us know in the comments of whatever podcast app you're using. That helps us to know how you feel about the show and makes it more likely for other people to find it too. Coming up at the end of this May, If That Makes Sense will have its first official season break. We'll be taking the summer off to come up with the best possible version of this show to roll out to you this upcoming fall of 2021. And last but not least, the Family Life Spring share is around the corner and that's a perfect opportunity to get involved in supporting the ministry organization that makes this podcast possible. Familylife.org slash give. Now let's look at what's coming up on today's conversation about heaven and the resurrection. Physicality, I think, is so important to how we think about heaven. It's not disembodied. It's not floating around mm-hmm. in your head. I want to take other gardens in heaven. That's what I want to do. Landscape. Oh, my goodness. Be a landscaper in heaven. You can teach me. You'll never teach me here on earth. <laughs> but when we get there, you can teach me how to garden. This is If That Makes Sense, the Family Life original podcast about what life is really like as a Christian in your 20s. I'm Tim, and I work in Family Life's radio production department. I'm Aaron. I work in Family Life's performing arts department. I'm Robbie. I work in Family Life's performing arts department. Today's topic is probably one of most of our favorites, just as Christians in general. Heaven. I feel like I've never been around a group of Christians who, if you mention heaven, they won't just go off on it. And it's just one of our collective favorite topics, I think. But like, Most of the things in Christianity that are probably way more exciting than we realize, I think that there are some healthy ways we think about them and some unhealthy ways we think about them and a lot of ways in which they're misunderstood. What are some generic, maybe less than helpful ways that we as a whole might think about heaven sometimes? Well, see, as you were saying, it's one of our favorite topics to talk about. I thought to myself... There was a time where that wasn't the case for me. I I just kind of thought it was boring because I think I did have a smaller, narrow view. Because when I was younger, I was like, oh, yeah, you're just going to sit there with your harp. You're going to sit on a cloud. Every time the harp. And there's the big golden city. And you're just going to sing hymns the whole time. That's all you're going to do. Hymn sing in the clouds (laughs) with harps. For eternity. (laughs) Yes. Really sounds not that exciting to me. I remember having arguments with a friend of mine in third or fourth grade because he thought heaven sounded boring. I remember being kind of upset with him because I knew he was a believer and he was on his way to heaven and wasn't excited about it. But it's because it was because of that. His view of heaven was... I don't like singing. I prefer playing. I prefer making things with my hands. I prefer doing stuff. I don't want to go and sing and be in church for forever. And well, at the time, I didn't know what the alternative to singing forever was for heaven. But I knew, okay, well, even if it is that, God will make you like it somehow. (laughs) I was kind of getting close to the point. But maybe in reality, he was a little closer than I was. I think one way that we tend to think about heaven is by not thinking about it. (laughs) Because I know for me, there's many times where I can go days or weeks, even months without even giving a thought about heaven. And it's just so easy to be like, you know, I got to focus on, you know, going to work. I got to focus on helping out at church, at youth group. And then you think about God, but you don't think about 
what is my ultimate destination? Why am I doing these things? Why am I going to work? Why am I helping out at church? And it's all related to God who is in heaven, who we're going to be with at some point. And so I think it's really easy to just just not think about it. Well, I've spent some time in some countries that are not my home country. And you go and you're like, this is cool. This is exciting. Woo, it's different. And then eventually you reach a point where you're like, oh, I, I miss my home where people speak my language I know and I know what's culturally appropriate and what's not and I'm used to the food that I like and my house I'm used to living in and my climate and whatever. And you start to just be like, I just want to go home. And when I came back, I thought to myself, wait a minute, I think that's what we're supposed to be viewing this life as like, this isn't my home, you know, America isn't my, <laughs> it really isn't my home. Like I should be viewing this like, oh, I just can't wait till I'm home. And obviously that's, you know, all Christians know home is heaven. But I think you're right. It's hard to think of it that especially way because I think we, of this is my home. Especially when we don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Like how are we supposed to long for something when we don't even really know what it is that we're longing for? Right. Because I've experienced this life in this country and then you go to this country and you're like, oh, I knew, I miss home. Yeah. But I haven't experienced heaven yeah. yet. So it's not like I want to go back to <laughs> heaven because I haven't been there. Or yeah. it's like I really want to eat this piece of cake because I know what it's mm -hmm. going to taste like. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot harder for me to just walk away from it. Right. Because I know it's going to be delicious and it's going to make me feel good, mm -hmm. at least for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, heaven cake metaphors only go so far, but right, I'm right. always down for a food metaphor. That's a great point, right? We don't know what it's like, so it's harder to look forward to it sometimes. And like my friend who didn't know what heaven was going to be, or rather he thought he knew what heaven was going to be like, therefore he didn't look forward to it. What are some other thoughts about that in terms of ways we can think about heaven that we don't often think about? Well, I just had my sister come uh, from from out of town. Don't get to see her or my brother-in-law that often. And we just had a great time together. And there was just one of my favorite things is, is breakfast. I just love making a big breakfast and just sitting around the table and the sun is coming in. It's like your day is just getting started. There's so much potential and you've got your tea or your coffee or whatever beverage you enjoy. And you're just like, hmm. And that moment has to end. It's like, oh, you have to go. You have to go home. You have to go back to work. I have to go back to work. Like this can't last forever. And then just realizing and we started talking about it around the table, actually. So it's sort of funny that we're so close to this from that moment to this podcast. Like, wait a minute. That's what heaven's going to be. We'll all be together and we'll never have to leave. We'll never have to say goodbye. We'll never have to go back to work, back to, oh, I have to go back to this thing I'm not looking forward to. Like, there isn't going to be anything in heaven that I'm going to have to go back to that I don't want to do. We won't be saying that. We'll get to sit around the table and just, yeah, if we want to talk for a thousand years, that's fine. If we want to talk for a million years, that's fine. Okay, now I'm going to get up and, you know, go on a hike or whatever. And I talk, talk in terms of years, even though there's no years in heaven. But I think just that idea of being with the people you love and it and it doesn't end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of going off of what Robbie was saying, I had a, s a similar thought, but my thought was the life that we're in now I mean, depending on your situation, of course, it's like a vacation. 
So when we are going about life, going through work, we go on a vacation. Usually there's some stressful moments involved in that, like packing, trip planning, all that kind of stuff. But if it was a good vacation, you really enjoy it. And you're like, man, this is really nice. But I got to go back home because there's stuff waiting for me back there. So I think one way that maybe can help me at least remind myself of heaven is like at this moment in my life right now, I'm kind of like having a vacation, even though like usually you tend to think of vacations as really good and what we're going back to is not so great. It's kind of like imagine the best life you could ever live, but you're taking a vacation from it. Hmm. That's interesting. And what I like about that is that it doesn't make well, you're explicitly not making heaven a vacation where you just have no responsibilities. There's nothing you've got to accomplish. What do they say about um, if you're working the right job, you'll never work a day in your life? You know, because we generally think about work as a negative thing for various reasons as humans. Well, we were made to work. So the perfect work for us is going to be life-giving and joyful and amazing. I think in heaven, we are going to have jobs. We're going, I don't think we're going to have commerce, but I think we're going to have jobs. I think we're going to have responsibilities. I think we're going to create things. I think it's it's physical, it's tangible. So I, I really like that a lot, talking about it more as the life that you're getting back to after a vacation. Not that what we're in right now feels like a vacation, but insofar as what we're headed towards is more real, more productive, more life-giving than what we're in right now. I want to take other gardens in heaven. That's what I want to do. Landscape. Oh, my goodness. Be a landscaper in heaven. You can teach me. You'll never teach me here but. On, on earth <laughs> because it's too <laughs> it's too much here. <laughs> Just I'm never going to make the time for it. But when we get there, you can teach me how to garden. Yeah. How does that yeah. sound? Because there's going to be dirt and we're going to get our hands dirty. Are you going to want to learn how to do it, though? Probably less weeds. Oh, my goodness, less weeds. <laughs> Hopefully none whatsoever. They're part of the curse, aren't they? Yeah. Right, right. Physicality, I think, is so important to how we think about heaven. It's not disembodied. It's not floating around mm-hmm. in your head in, in a vague feeling. New body. New body. We'll have a new body like Jesus did. What's the first, one of the first things he did? He ate food to prove to the disciples, I've got the resurrection body that you will have someday. Mm-hmm. And I'm here. You can touch my wounds. Mm-hmm which interestingly, God left those wounds there. He's alive, but he still bears the marks of where he came from. And he can eat food still. He can enjoy a meal with his disciples, but he's in a body that will never corrupt. Exciting. Mm-hmm. Oh and, my goodness. So and much to look he can walk through walls. That'd be mm-hmm. pretty exciting. And he can walk through. Think about that. Things to look forward to. My goodness. Walking through walls, <laughs> eating fish, <laughs> being able to do both of those in the same body. That's what we have to look forward to. That's exciting. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's talking about the resurrection to a group of Corinthian believers. He's specifically trying to put down some arguments that they have been tempted to believe from some false teachers in their midst who are telling them that the resurrection is a myth, that there will be no life after death. And these people are claiming to be Christian teachers. Well, Paul's stepping in and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. The resurrection from the dead, that's that's our thing. That's what we're about. Jesus was raised from the dead. That's our hope. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 19, he says this. 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But when I hear him say that, when I hear Paul say that, I think to myself, well, wait a second. Now. What if what if my life looks pretty good, even by the world's standards? Does that mean I'm not living how Christ wants me to? I mean, after all, I'm sure there are people who don't believe in the resurrection of Christ who would look at my life and wouldn't pity me and wouldn't think I'm throwing it all away. Yeah, God doesn't want us to feel guilty for having a really good life and enjoying life. Like, I think that it's actually a blessing when we're in those times. It's what we do when we're in those times that I think determines whether it's right or wrong or not and how we're responding to these things that are blessing us. Yeah. So um, just read this. Matthew 19 verses 21 through 24. Rich young man came up to Jesus and said, uh, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's a verse that's usually taken out of context. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so in that context, it sounds like Jesus was saying, you know, it's impossible with man for a rich man to be saved, but with God, it's not. Because there's so many things that are holding this rich young man back from committing fully to God because... Jesus didn't tell him, no, you haven't kept those commandments, you liar. He said, okay, give up your wealth because he knew that the man had pride in his wealth and that would have prevented him from going all in. And he never asked Zacchaeus to give up his wealth. Zacchaeus did it willingly and um, Jesus told the disciples, you know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he didn't tell them to necessarily leave everything behind, but it was implied and they were willing to do it. So I don't think it's wrong to have wealth and to be in a spot where you're not someone that's pitied. But I think what you do with it is important. Like, oh, I'm in a really good spot, so I'm going to buy these things that I always wanted. There's nothing wrong with buying some things that you would use like for your hobbies or something. But I think if you're doing all that, putting all that money aside to buy yourself things and not thinking, how can I be a blessing to other people with this stuff? How can I look to those who might be looked down on for their situations and help them out? Right. Yeah, that's a great point. So to that, I'm glad you brought in that scriptural example of some other people who responded to Jesus' call on their life and he let them keep their station in life like Zacchaeus. 
just because you are living faithfully in light of the truth of the gospel doesn't mean that you have to lose everything that makes what we would say this life good, quote, quote. What I mean by that is like what you just said, Zacchaeus was a faithful disciple of Christ who did amazing things for God with his money. And he still had money. He didn't go and become uh, a disciple who lived on the street with Jesus. He still had money, but he did amazing things for God with it, radically, generously giving it back because he recognized it wasn't his money anymore. It was God's money in light of what he learned from the gospel. Another one I'm thinking of fitting for the story of Easter is Joseph of Arimathea. The Gospel of Matthew explicitly goes out of its way to say that he was a disciple who followed Christ, who was a rich man. And because of it, he had a very nice tomb that was his own to do whatever he wanted with. But he gave it to Christ. He gave this tomb over to the cause of Christ so that he could be buried in an honorable place. And praise God, he raised from that tomb three days later. But he's an example of somebody who, even though he was faithfully following the gospel and the, the truth of our hope as Christians, he still had things that by the world's standards would be considered good things. But here's the, the point I would want to make here. What it should mean and what I think Paul means here about saying that if our hope in the resurrection isn't true, then we are of all people the most to be pitied is because of how much our hope is put in the gospel of Christ and how much our hope is riding on the fact that we will be raised from the dead one day. It's not that we live pitiable lives and we hope someday there's a resurrection to pay us back for every miserable thing we had to do for God. No, no, much the contrary. We do the very best we can and we live fully alive, fully human lives because we are driven by and inspired by the hope of the resurrection. Because what's the point of all of this if this is it, if this is all there is, if there is nothing greater coming, who cares? You know, like why does it, why does, why does anything now matter at all if there's not something greater coming to look forward to, to be with God and to be fully and completely, you know, we're, we're in these human cursed bodies now. And so I can do my best to live for God, but I'm, I'm still going to keep falling short, even though I'm completely forgiven of my sins. But someday when I'm with God, I won't be stuck in this place of sin and, oh, I need to try again. And, oh, I messed up again. Oh, I failed again. And I'm trying, I'm trying. You know, we're sort of striving here, but we're never going to make it. From what you just said, I wanted to ask you a question. You said that why would any of this be worth it if there wasn't something better coming? Do you think that, and it's kind of a leading question because I think this, do you think that the fact that there are bad things here point to there must be a place where those bad things aren't. So to talk about gardening, because you find thorns that get in your way of what you love while you're gardening, do you think that points to saying there must be a garden somewhere in some far green country, as Tolkien would call it, where there aren't thorns? Right. It's all so messed up and it's so broken. Like we'll never, there's no hope. Like There's just no hope. Like we're never going to... We're never going to be able to get everyone out of the sex trafficking trade and we're never going to be able to be we're never going to stop all the crime. We're never it's just hopeless. <laughs> it's like 
Oh, oh, hopeless. However, it's not hopeless because because of Jesus, it's not. Because yes, because if everything was totally perfect here, then I wouldn't care about <laughs> going to heaven. Well, this I would be I, this I would got, be heaven. If this it were, were, exactly. If it were perfect, exactly. Yeah, it would be. Right. It would be. It would be heaven. It would be perfect. I had a quote that I wanted to share after a brief analogy. I came up with this analogy. I think it's okay. I thrive on analogies. I love analogies. I love a good analogy. I think that there are two ways to live in light of heaven as a believer. And we can liken these two ways to live as a parable of two school children. Both of them are guaranteed to graduate. They've gotten good enough grades this far that they are going to graduate. They've maybe even got accepted into the college of their choice or whichever. Not a lot is riding on how this year finishes. One says, summer vacation's coming. I get to be done with school. I already know I'm going to get into that. I already got my acceptance letter. I've even got a few uh, absentee days left that uh, I could I could take off. And this kid, because summer is coming, graduation's coming, coasts. Doesn't try that hard on the not very important classes. Doesn't necessarily even make it to school because they don't have to to graduate. There's no time left to give them demerits. That's how they view it because they know summer is coming. And they know that they're in the clear anyways. The other one says... Summer's coming, so why not do the best I can do with the time I have left in school? Because school is important in and of itself. That kid works harder because he knows that there's rest coming. He doesn't coast because he knows there's rest coming. Believers can do one of these two things. We can say, I'm already saved. I don't need to do the cherry on top stuff. I already trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm already going to go to heaven. The other one says, you kidding? I've only got so long left on earth. I've got to do my very best with every moment I have. And I think we definitely teeter between those two sometimes. And then here's the quote I wanted to share. This quote is um, from N.T. Wright. On, uh, it's, from, it's from an interestingly named essay called Jesus is Coming, Plant a Tree. And uh, <laughs> I love that provocative title. So, it, and it's kind of about, well, why does it even matter to do good things now, non-spiritual things now? Why would it matter to plant a tree now if Jesus is coming? Why would art matter? Why would nice things that you do for a stranger matter if you don't give them a gospel tract? You know, why would any of these good things matter if Jesus is coming anyways and he's going to reset everything anyways? Here's what N.T. Wright says. I don't know how my work for justice for the poor, for remission of global debts, will appear in that new world. God's new world. Heaven, that is. But I know that God's new world of justice and joy, of hope for the whole earth, was launched when Jesus came out of the tomb on Easter morning. I know he calls me and you to live in him and by the power of his spirit, and so to be new creation people here and now, giving birth to signs and symbols of the kingdom on earth as in heaven. I love the quote because it's, it's, it's admitting, I don't know why it matters to take care of my environment now if this whole earth is going to burn, as Peter says in Second Peter. I don't know why it matters to make art right now 
if we could say there are more important things to be doing, that's all going to burn up and go away. But I do know that God wants me to be bringing signs of his beautiful new creation in my life here and now on earth as it is in heaven. So those are kind of two ways we can view things when we know heaven's coming. Are we going to coast or are we going to try to finish the race strong? It almost makes me think because there's so much to look forward to, I would want to bring as many people as I could with me there. Like, I know you think this is good. There's something so much better coming. And how much more likely those people are going to be to believe what I'm talking about if, you know, he's talking about, I don't know about whatever, feeding the poor, taking care of them. How much more likely are they going to be to listen to my message if I'm like, hey, good luck with your situation. But, you know, at least there's something better coming. But if I'm willing to help them and say, whatever, here's some food, here's some clothing, here's some money, here's some whatever you, whatever need you have, I'm going to help you with that. And by the way, there's something better coming. When you're like, which person's going to be more likely to listen to what I have yeah. to say about this future great heaven thing that's coming? Yeah. The guy that's like, yeah, whatever, who cares? It's coming. Or the guy that's like, it's coming, but let me help you in this earthly journey until you get there. Yeah. And I also think, I don't remember the exact phrasing of that quote, but when it says like the things that we're doing are kind of like showing heaven. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that too, that all of the good things that we experience in this life are because of God, because God created them. God created everything and said that it was good. All of the bad things that we experience are because of sin. So all the good things in your life right now, if you take out all the bad, that's heaven. Hmm. Yeah, and and even then so much more still. Mm-hmm. I has not seen nor has ear heard those things that God has prepared. What made sense to you today? I want to hear what made sense to you. Yeah, what what made sense to me was the really interesting way that you, Aaron, referred to heaven and our life now as vacation and your normal life. But not at all the way I would have normally expected that to go. Generally, we would think of heaven as the vacation and normal life as the drudgery. But in the same way that life is what you're really supposed to be doing when you're alive, like you're doing your life, vacation is a temporary thing. That's a better analogy for our life here is the temporary thing. And what we're really about, what we're really working towards, what our end goal really is, is heaven, which is our life. Because heaven is to be with Christ and to be with Christ is to be alive. That is what made sense to me today. I think for me, it made sense to think about the rich young ruler or Zacchaeus or whatever. And I guess it is sometimes that thought I have, like the guilty, like, I don't know, am I supposed to be enjoying life now? Like, I just had a really fun day. Is that allowed? Like, I have a really nice home that God's given me and I like my couch and I like my whatever. Is that worldly of me? Is that not heavenly minded of <laughs> right, me? Right, exactly. And you struggle like, does this mean like I just don't care about heaven or don't care about, you know, and I guess that's something that I I wrestle with and I, I tumble with and I go back and forth like with like, am I trying to make my life here 
too comfortable and too nice and cozy that I'm not thinking about that heaven, the next step or the final step on the journey? Or am I thinking about telling other people about, hey, earth is cool, but new heaven, new earth, you want to get there. And I guess I just thought it was interesting to see that if you're blessed here, that isn't a bad thing. But maybe what then are you going to do with that blessing that you have? Are you going to share it? Are you going to use what you've been blessed with to help bring other people along with you to heaven? If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to let us know in a comment wherever you listen to podcasts. That'll let us know what's working for you and how you feel about if that makes sense, as well as making it more likely for others to find the show. And don't forget to check out the other Family Life original podcasts, like Therese Talk, a short-form podcast released every Tuesday where Therese Maine shares help for women to better serve their families and community. You can check that show out and others wherever you find podcasts or just go to fln.org podcast. Thanks so much for being a part of this group and we hope you join us for the next one.